0: You're listening to Ask Dr. E, where Dr. Michael Easley answers your biblical and theological questions in 10 minutes or less, or sometimes more like this episode. Here's today's question. Hi, Dr. Easley. This is Julie.
1: I I have a question for you. I'm calling from Spring Lake, Michigan. This has come up recently. I, I would think that there are certain beliefs that you have to have to truly be a genuine believer in Christ. But one has come up recently that some of my dear Christian friends seem to have been uh, taken away with, and that is that they don't believe there is eternal hell, and that they have referred me to various authors, um, well-known authors that have changed their mind about hell. In my mind, um, there are certain essentials that have to be there, but I wondered what your thoughts, Or on that. Um, It does concern me. I am glad to be in Christ and saved from hell, and I can't understand not believing in that. Uh, I would think that would change uh, quite a few things in your life, maybe how you look at sin. So I just wanted your thoughts.
2: Julie, great question. Uh, Let's take one example, the National Association of Evangelicals. Years ago, tried to come up with seven uh, points that, okay, this meant you were a Christian. And uh, I mean, confessions have done this, Heidelberg Confession, uh, catechisms have done this. So this is nothing new. Um, And there's something intrinsic in believers that we we watch someone else or or we hear of a new theology or some teaching, go you can't be a Christian and believe that. So let's just... Let's just acknowledge that's a reality in the culture we live in. It's not new, but we do have these trends that come and go. Um, the gospel, to begin with, is Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection. And Paul, in, in the letter to the Galatians, or in First uh, Corinthians 15, is very clear about these elements. And if we alter or change the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus as being what we're believing in, then we are teaching a different gospel. Now, the gospel isn't just the declaration of those items. The gospel is the good news of the person and work of Jesus Christ. I think churches and Christians can use this word in all kinds of ways. They're not necessarily wrong, but there's an elasticity to the word. So we say, what is the gospel? What's the explicit gospel? I read a book a couple years ago. The explicit gospel. These are attempts to clarify Uh, As Christians, what we are and are not communicating. Again, for review, life, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And the man or woman who puts his faith, his hope, his belief, his trust in the person and work of Jesus Christ. I call that the benchmark. It's not what I've done, it's what he's done. It's not what I do, it's what he's accomplished. I'm putting my faith in him to do for me what I can never do for myself. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works that no one can boast. Ephesians 2: 8 and 9. So that with a bow on that, that's the gospel, that's what we're believing in. Now as we grow in Christ, we're going to learn. We're going to learn what baptism means. We're going to learn what obedience is. We're going to learn what sanctification is. And I often refer to the salvation is the faith benchmark. Sanctification is the process of faith. So we're coming to faith, but we're living faithfully. Coming to faith is our salvation. Living faithfully is our sanctification. Okay, long answer, uh, long beginning to the answer. Now, let's talk about what you're referring to as annihilationism. Uh, John Stott, who to many Christians who read commentaries and study theology, John Stott is a tremendous author. He's with the Lord now. And Stott, later in his life, became an annihilationist. And as a lot of these leaders and thinkers theologically go, uh, then his or her followers might go with him. Well, so-and-so changed his view on this doctrine, so ergo I should change my view on that doctrine. And so the annihilationism trend began years ago. And it's sort of, you know, in common language, well, I mean he's a merciful God. He's a loving God. He's a kind God. Why would he let someone suffer in eternity forever? I mean, that's cruel. That's capricious. That's evil. That's a malevolent God. You know, he's walking heaven's floor, rubbing his hands and laughing, this brooding laugh. Ha 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 you know, sending people to hell. Well, we know that's not who our God is, right? But that's the image that we can concoct from a human lens, not a heavenly lens. Let's think about one passage in particular that I go to to say, I don't think annihilationism is what scripture teaches. This is from uh, Luke chapter 16, the rich man and Lazarus. Now there's a rich man, habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, joyously living in splendor every day, and a poor man named Lazarus who was laid at the gate covered with sores. So Jesus is telling a story about these two antithetical people, wealthy and destitute. The poor man dies. He's carried away into Abraham's bosom. The rich man dies, and he's buried. In Hades, he lifted up his eyes in torment. He saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. He cried out to Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in the water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. But Abraham said, child, remember during your life, and he he talks about what benefits he had. Fast forward in the passage, he says, besides this, there is a great chasm fixed so that those who wish to come over from here to you cannot and those who cross over from there to us. And he said, I beg you, Father, send to him in my father's house, I have five brothers, in order that they may be warned so they will not come to this place of torment. Abraham said, they have Moses, they have the prophets. Let them hear them. No, Father Abraham, if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. This is verse 31 of Luke 16. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. A clear allusion to himself. So all that to say, um, The doctrine of annihilationism, I think, is at odds, the teaching of annihilation, with Scripture. If a person believes that, are they truly a Christian? Well, I throw up my hands and say, maybe yes, maybe no. (laughs) I can't say belief or disbelief of one doctrine disqualifies them. Um, And and let's just say they're confused in their view of heaven and hell. Would that mean they're not a Christian? And I I would argue "Mm, probably not. Going back to my opening remark, if they have trusted in Christ and Christ alone to do for them what they cannot do for themselves, uh, if if a person struggles with a sin, if they struggle with temptation, if they're, uh, you know, you fill in the blank, does that mean they're not a Christian? We should be very careful that we uh, jump on a bat. Well, you can't be a Christian if you don't believe in a literal six-day creation. You can't be a Christian if you don't believe in an old earth theory. You can't be a Christian if... You know we're we're now confusing uh, what I would call sanctification and growth issues with salvation issues. Does that make sense, Hannah? Yeah, I think okay. so.
0: I, I think about I had a professor at Dallas Seminary that would always talk about tier one, tier two, and tier three issues. And today, as a church, we've made a lot of tier two issues, tier one issues that really should be in tier two, whether it's infant baptism, immersion, you know, all these things that we're fighting over. And like you're saying salvation is in question on right. what you believe about a certain doctrine
2: i think when we get to heaven and walk the threshold we're going to find out how wrong we, we all were, were. <laughs> about so many things <laughs> yeah. we're going to be falling on our face like john uh, like a dead man going wow how did i get here goodness sakes yeah. i was so wrong in so many ways and that doesn't mean to be pejorative we should right. be good students of scripture but the ability to hold these intention, tension, I think, is really what's important.
0: So what do you say to the person? Because, I, I mean, I don't want to believe in hell. I get it. <laughs> uh, I mean, Julie's talking about she's got several friends that don't believe in hell. What would you say to them or what advice would you give to Julie if it comes up again?
2: Well, I mean, if you can do this in a, you know, let's learn together way, not a bulldogmatic way. Mm-hmm. Read Revelation 20 um, and verse 7. When? When the thousand years are completed, this is when Satan is free for his thousand-year run, uh, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth. And the passage continues, uh, verse 10. The devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet were also, and they will be tormented day and night forever ever and ever Mm. that is a literal hell not annihilation the lake of fire is eternal and here's the real uncomfortable part of this to me hannah um i believe men and women are made of the image of god meaning we are eternal Mm. we have this temporal set of clothing but we're eternal god's not going to annihilate an eternal being sure so when we die we are fit for eternality either with him yeah. or apart from him. Mm. And while that is chilling, uh, it, again, reassures our salvation. It also encourages us. This is important business to talk to people about Christ. that mm-hmm. They know what they believe. Mm-hmm. This isn't just a, you know, you vote you know, Republican, Democratic, independent, libertarian, whatever you want to vote for. This yeah. is eternal. Yeah. And um, this is not playing around in things of God. I think the word is our authority. And uh, I'll fall and die on that, yeah. not on trend in theology of, well, he's loving, he's kind, right. he wouldn't send those people to hell. right? Well, he didn't send them to hell.
0: They okay. And not to belabor this, but how do you, got, I mean, Rob Bell obviously is the most known, at least to me, of pastors who have come out over the years and said, okay, I think we've got this wrong. Hell doesn't exist. They know the Bible. Rob Bell knows the Bible. So how, what, and I, you probably haven't read his book that you know, gives his whole thesis, but what are they doing with all that scripture?
2: I call it horizontal Christianity. I I think when, when people, men and women, teachers, authors, whomever, when they look at social issues and more importantly than scriptural issues, when they look at the human condition, Mm -hmm. uh, well-intentioned though it be, the authority is not our experience. The authority has to be the word of God. Mm-hmm. I'm not saved because of my behavior. I'm saved because of the authority of Scripture, what it tells me about me. I'm not a sinner because I feel guilty. I'm a sinner because of what Scripture tells me is sin. Mm-hmm. So once we move our mooring and footing off the authority of the word of God and we start looking at the world through our own lens, and, and you know the altruism of uh, love wins sounds great. Yeah. And I could preach that. I wouldn't preach it the way Rob Bell preached it. I'd say the love of Christ is the only way you win. Yeah. And if you go to human-defined love, horizontal Christianity, where we're looking more. So I, what they do, in my opinion, and I can't answer for them, I, but my, my concern is they left the mooring of the Bible as God's word, the authority of scripture, and they add to it and they extrapolate it out and they take it from this context and they misapply it. And that's where James warns us, not many of you become teachers, for you will incur a stricter judgment. Yeah. And you and I both have friends and acquaintances that sit in some pretty goofy churches. Mm-hmm. And and it breaks my heart to listen to this nonsense mm-hmm. that people teach them. And uh, it, it breaks my heart for them, but it also scares me because as I go, teachers. what am I doing as a Bible teacher where I'm leading people astray? Yeah. Um, when you stand up and say, thus saith the Lord, yeah, I want to be able to look in the Bible and go... Okay, I saw it there. That's the lake of fire. Yeah. It's eternal. My argument's with the Bible now, right? not with my experience of, well, a loving God wouldn't send people to hell. Well, a loving God didn't send them to hell. Mm-hmm. A loving God gave them opportunities. Mm-hmm. Unless they're robotic or automatons, they got to make a response. Sure. And their response is bad language, free will. Yep. We had the opportunity to come to Christ. Yes, we're elect. We talked about a prior prior question, but this all gets tangled, and that's where human lens, heavenly lens. We're trying to explain things from a finite viewpoint that come at an infinite level.
0: If you've got a question for Ask Dr. E, call us or text us at 615-281-9694, or you can email us at question at michaelincontext.com. We would love to hear from you. Ask Dr. E is a production of Michael Eason in Context. The music for this show is composed by Jason Germain, and you can find more biblical resources at michaelincontext.com.